Welcome to this very special edition of the KJ Masterclass Live, the show which ensures that you profit from your time spent here with experts, either through their industry insights, information, or simply learning from them. And today we have Larry Apke. He is a VUCA consultant. He helps companies not only thrive, uh, not only survive, but thrive in a world increasingly volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. That's what VUCA is all about. He's an agile coach and practitioner, a value delivery expert, and also an author of two books. Uh, if there are anything more, we, we, we will come to know from you. Welcome to the show, Larry. Thank you. I appreciate it. I appreciate you having me here. It's actually three books. I just published a new book just recently. Wonderful, wonderful. So we'll talk about those books, all three three books, so that people can learn. So first to understand, you know, uh, we'll be talking about, obviously, as we discussed, in thriving in a VUCA world. So first to understand from you, Larry, this uh, VUCA itself, we look at it, uncertain, volatile, complex, and ambiguous. You talk about thriving in a world like this. People will just talk about, is it, can we even survive in a world like this? Right. Help us understand what this term is all about, and then we'll come to whether we can survive, just survive or whether we can also thrive. Certainly. The, the, the term VUCA actually comes to us from the, the military. I, I, I can't remember exactly when. I think it was probably in the 60s and 70s. It's been some time. They, <clears throat> folks have started to notice the shift in the world, and I think we all do. Uh, things are moving faster. Things are changing uh, so rapidly, and, and, and not just rapidly, but dramatically. So they came up with this term VUCA, which uh, is volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. There's a whole bunch of other acronyms out there that folks have coined, but basically what people are doing is they're recognizing the world is changing. Uh, you look at things like AI and how that's going to change the world. We don't all know how it's going to change the world, but we know it will. Um, so uh, for me, it's like if the world is different than the world that we evolved in, the world that we grew up in, and sometimes the world that we're taught about in school and, and other places, how do we actually not just survive all the changes, but how can we thrive? And this comes to, there's a book called Anti-Fragile, uh, Nassim Taleb talks about this concept of, of being able to thrive in a world like this. And I like that, uh, not just survive and not just be resilient, but actually uh, make more money, make more profit, do better in a world uh, that is constantly changing and, and is very complex and volatile, et cetera. Right, right. So first, first we have established that, yes, we can thrive indeed, and there is nothing to be afraid of. Then, uh, right, so how do we do that? Is it only for, say, our businesses or also for individuals? Can they ad adopt the same uh, principles in life? Help us understand from both the uh, both the perspectives and also you know whenever a thing like this comes you also talk about the tools of the trade so what is it that i will need to you know to thrive in a uh, in a world like this help us in that especially from a business perspective small business perspective and also from an individual's perspective if that's possible yeah certainly I th i'll start with the individual because to me that's really where it starts and and what i found over the years of, of being an agile coach and working with large uh, organizations to help them become more agile is i've started to notice that it really happens here and that's the first place so i talk about the 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 teachings that I have, I call the VUCA MBA. And the reason I do the MBA stands for mindset for business agility. 
we have to have that mindset. We have to start to recognize that the world is different and that we're going to need different things in us as individuals in order to make that change. And it has to start there. So whether you're talking about an individual, a small company, a large company, it really has to start with those individuals and their ability to see the world differently. Um, we have trouble with that. We are, are taught how to see the world in certain ways. Our evolution teaches us, you know, gives us certain things by default and how we see the world. We have the capability of changing how we see the world, recognize what I would consider, what I call objective reality a little bit uh, more uh, accurately. And that's going to allow us to make the changes that we need. Um, the, the biggest thing about it, it's not a secret. To, to, sur to survive and thrive in the VUCA world, it really comes down to seeing the world differently and then being able to take feedback and using that feedback to make changes and not just stick to a, a plan that we might have or even an idea that we might have about how the world is. We have to be constantly looking for that feedback. Now, <clears throat> the larger the business, the tougher it is. We all know that. But again, I've, I've learned that it starts with the individuals and how they view the world. And if you get to a critical mass of individuals within your organization that understand the world differently and see the world differently, you're going to start to be able to make meaningful change. And, and the higher those folks are on the corporate ladder, so to speak, the more success you're going to have, because the higher you are, the more impact you have. So in a nutshell, it really starts here. Uh, it starts with people and how they see the world and how they think about the world. Right. So is is agility or agile coach or agile chief officer, chief agile officer, the answer for this for organizations? Or is it more than that uh, to thrive in a VUCA world? Oh, I think it's a lot more than that. What I'm talking about is is what we want to call table stakes or just the, the, the entry into the doorway of, of this, this ability to be agile. It starts with that mindset. It starts with, uh, if anything, I think it starts with humility. It has to start with a recognition that the world is changing, that we can't understand it. Um, we have a tendency as human beings to... Uh, the, not just lie to others, but we lie to ourselves more often. We deceive ourselves often that we know exactly what's going on. We don't always know what's going on in this VUCA world. And we have to be comfortable with the fact that we don't because the world, uh, you know, the, Snowden talks about, uh, you know, different quadrants and he talks about the complicated world versus the complex world. Um, the things that we do in the complicated world are the stuff that, that served us well for millennia as human beings, because this was a simple world of cause and effect where we could do something and we could see the effect right away. And, and it was more physical in nature, more Tayloristic, if, if you're familiar with that model of management. The world we're in is completely different. Individuals are different. We Most of us work in what's called knowledge work, and, and that's different. And how knowledge workers are are motivated and, 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 and other things is, is, is different. So we have to recognize the differences in this VUCA world and understand it and see it differently. Then we'll start to behave differently. So seeing it differently is just the first step. We have to start behaving differently, but we, it, 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 those things are all wrapped up together, right? I mean, seeing, thinking, behaving are all wrapped up together. 
But what I found is that most people understand we have to change our behavior, but they don't really, they, they kind of overlook, even though they know it, they overlook the fact that we need to see differently in order to change that behavior. And so that's what I stress. But in the end, you still have to, to behave differently. And, and it's like if, if you're a golfer or something and you change your golf swing to improve, it's going to be uncomfortable for a while. So you have to keep with it. You have to understand why you're doing it. You have to have a view of the goal uh, of why am I doing this change in order to be successful? And if you don't have that different way of seeing the world, you're going to fall back into behaviors that, that are the ones that you're comfortable with. And that's why a lot of companies aren't don't have that ability to to survive in this VUCA world or even thrive in the VUCA world. Right, right. In terms of organizations, especially big organizations, uh, uh, say, for example, the great resignation happened. Mm -hmm. Now, they know that the society is making that uh, shift, that people who are working want more than what they generally, you know, in, uh, they wanted in earlier days. Now they want much more work-life balance. Why is it that organizations could not understand it much before, you know, then this great resignation started? Or is it that they knew but did not want to there? If somebody, something had, you know, had was there to help them, what could it have been uh, that could have helped them? And also in terms of individuals, when you are talking about, uh, is the feedback. A lot of people who make this, you know, new innovations or changes to the way the world general people think is their own vision. You talk about taking feedback as much as possible and do the course correction. So how do you calibrate the feedback also to the original ideas? Because a lot of people who are not so attuned to change, even organizations will be able to understand your own ideas. So how do I take both these things together? Because it's a, it's a new world altogether. How does that happen? Yeah, I'll, let me start with with the, the great resignation and, and, and people. And, and I'll say again, I'm going to go back to knowledge workers. And, and the, the, the real interesting thing for me, as I as I look at this and, and try to be kind of a, an objective outside observer of, of human behavior, um, there's so many things that are wrapped up into how we how we treat the people we work with. But 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 if, if you've done the, the research and you really ask yourself the question, are knowledge workers fundamentally different? And the answer is yes. And this is not something new. All the stuff that I teach, all the stuff I talk about in books and other things in my classes, this is stuff that we've known for some time. It's not like it just came to us. I mean, some of the stuff you talk about Deming and other folks, you're talking 50s, 60s, 70s. These, these are things that have been around for a while. The, the interesting question for me is why are leaders not getting the message? And I'm not 100% certain. I think it has a lot to do with what I would consider confirmation bias, which is one of the most insidious biases that, that we see the world a different way and then we look for the evidence that the world is that way. Um, that's one of the big things for me, but, it, but it's always been really, it's, I've always been really curious about uh, going back to this concept of humility. Most of our leaders, um, the good ones, are humble. We know that. We have, we have historical evidence for it. If you look at all the people that we look up to in the world over history, they were humble. 
Um, that's not always a trait that you find in, in, in managers and leaders these days in organizations, but, but in the good ones you do. So there were people who saw it, um, but there's a lot of people who don't because, again, they have a certain perspective and they're looking for the world to confirm their perspective and vice versa. And this is where it comes to feedback. You have to be open to the feedback. You have to be willing to say, I'm wrong. If, if I had one piece of advice for folks, I think if you assume that whatever you're thinking is wrong, you're probably going to be better off than what we mostly do, which is assume that it's right and look for evidence that it's that it's right. We should look for evidence that it's wrong, because if it is right, it will stay. It, it will hold against that evidence. If it is wrong, we're best to know as, as soon as possible. So we should look for evidence that it is wrong. We should we should be open and soliciting for that advice. That's not something we generally see in leaders. Leaders get into those positions because we have another bias that attracts us to people who tend to be strong and certain about what they do. So we're, we're, we're always fighting against uh, this, this human, uh, what I call it, mental evolution of how we evolved in a world that wasn't VUCA. And the skills that we got by default, our, our, our human operating system, if you will, um, goes against being optimal in VUCA, in the VUCA world. It, it, and success is a poor teacher, by the way. And so the people who are at the top and making the big decisions that, that tend to affect a lot of people, they've been quote unquote successful. It's a poor teacher. When you're successful, you assume what you did was the, opti the, the right thing or the optimal thing. Not always the case because there's a lot of luck involved too. Just because you can do all the right things and still not win. So, so I'll use an analogy so it might help folks. Most people think it's like a, a game of chess or a game of checkers. What we're playing is we're really playing poker. And once you understand the fundamental difference between a game like chess and checkers, where the, even though it might be com complicated and the moves, whatever, but when you move upon a certain way, if you move it two spaces forward, it's going to move two spaces forward. It's more like poker where when you're playing the game, other people are playing the game against you and you have to understand things like probability and other things. And you can play a perfect hand and lose and you can play a terrible hand and win. Um, the, 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 the problem is to not pay attention necessarily to the result, but understand the thinking behind it, because we do know that certain hands are better than others objectively, and we have to look for those. Um, most people don't. Right. Right, Larry. So in terms of, you know, you are a chief agile officer, you know about these things. For the general audience, if you can tell what this agility of organizations is all about, and what are the key components if anyone wants to bring it? Because a lot of organizations who have not, this, this thing has been there for a while. Mm -hmm. So how much has it been successful? Is it that it is not successful? Is it the way they have not been able to implement? How does that matter? There is a, you talk about team dynamics here. The lot of teams do not even talk one to one, even if they are sitting next to, next to each other. There, there, there is a whole exchange of, you know, emails and all this inter, internal messaging system. How does then uh, this, this particular uh, thing work, work in today's time and bring out the best in an organization? 
there's certain things that you can do. I'm going to always keep going back to, I think one of the first things you do is you have to kind of change your mindset you have to change the mindset of the people working within the organization. Um, this is an interesting aside, but there's a lot of folks in the agile world. We have this debate about whether mindset is important or not. I'm obviously coming down on the side that it is. Um, there's a lot of people who say it isn't, but that's like, a, a, you know, the, the analogy I use there is does a fish know if it's wet? Right. If you've already have the mindset, you probably aren't going to believe that it's that important because it's the mindset that got you where you are. But you start that's a, that's the curse of knowledge, by the way. So you start to to uh, not see how important it is for those who are not in our world to have that kind of mindset to understand what is necessary, because when you have that mindset, you start to get the humility and other things. You become open to new ideas now then it comes down to implementation so my world is is trying to get people into that mindset because i think that that is the primary driver but there's a lot of work on top of it so the work that happens i, I do most of my work in the world world of software development so everybody i think is familiar with scrum scrum is one of the ways to say okay i have the mindset now how do i make this part of my daily life it may not be the best way it's certainly not the only way but it is a way and the way that Scrum works, and a lot of folks, for whatever reason, don't I don't think understand this because they, they, they get into the what and the how of things and they don't ask themselves the why. The why is that the world is VUCA. And in order to thrive in the VUCA world, what we need is feedback. And if you start to look at it through that lens, and I use the word lens a lot because it's how we see things. Um, you look at it that lens, what Scrum really is, is uh, I'm going to refer to as ceremonialized feedback. If you look at the Scrum framework, it doesn't tell you exactly what to do per se. It has a bunch of different uh, meetings. Uh, they call them events, I believe. Now they used to call them ceremonies. It doesn't matter. But you have these things on a regular basis. And it basically is opportunities for feedback. So you have a daily Scrum. You have the, the uh, retro every sprint. You have the planning. You have the refinement. All of these activities are, are scheduled and put on a cadence so that you're receiving that feedback on a regular basis. Here's the, here's the kicker, by the way, there is no guarantees in the VUCA world. So a lot of people are looking for guarantees just because you do scrum, just because you do even do the ceremony, which a lot of folks, uh, for whatever reason, they, they don't do, and it's very lightweight, then you're opening yourself up to a risk because you're removing feedback. So, to understand that. Now, that's not the only way. There's there's Kanban, Scrum Bond, there's all kinds of other things out there. But I think the key really is, it, whether it be an individual, small company, large company, it doesn't matter, is to have that ceremonialized feedback. Set up specific time to set aside for that feedback. Set aside specific time to learn new things, I think is another big thing. Um, because we don't always do that. But it's really, really important that we have that feedback. And then <clears throat> there's a lot organizationally because we, we tend to organize in specialties. We tend to organize, you know, we call, sometimes call them pejoratively as silos, is we have people that, that hang out only with people who have a certain expertise. That's not necessarily, I mean, it's good for the people in a way because they're working with people who have the same interests, desires, et cetera, but it's not necessarily good for a company because what happens is you have the work moving from one silo to another silo to another, to, to another silo, which makes it very slow 
in terms of a timeline. What I really want to do is I want to start bringing all these skills together so that I can I can get all the right people in the room to make decisions faster. That's the problem that I see at most of the large organizations, by the way, is they're not structured to make decisions quickly. And that's really what it's about. You have to be able to make decisions quickly. You have to also execute quickly. But it, it doesn't help me to execute quickly because you have a lot of companies who can execute quickly if you can't make the decisions quickly because the decisions are what comes from recognizing the world has changed and I need to change what I do, I have to make a, a decision. So there are various uh, scaling mechanisms, which, which some of your viewers might be familiar with, like SAFE and, and LESS and others, that try to address some of that. Um, because in the end, what you really need to be able to build is you, you need to be, be able to build a, a, a decisioning framework that allows for uh, quick decisions and being able to make changes and in, in, in what you're pursuing, um, no matter how well you deliver on it. Because uh, I, I like to say, you know, Drucker said, build the right things or do the right things right. We spend a lot of time trying to figure out how to do things perfectly, but it doesn't help if we do things perfectly if we're doing the wrong thing. So we have to make sure that we're doing the right thing. And that means that we have to make quicker decisions. Absolutely, absolutely. So a, a lot, there is a lot of learning to uh, to happen and uh, and to learn from you. People can learn a lot from you. So what about your books? You have written three books on yes. Agile. So help us about that. Two books earlier and one new book you just talked about when we uh, when there at the beginning. So tell us what people can learn about thriving in a VUCA world from your books. A little bit more about you know Agile so that they can make organizations better, their own lives better. Yeah, so, uh, well, a couple of things. Um, I appreciate that. I mean, I have a class I call VUCA MBA. It's a three-day class I offer to organizations. So that's one of the ways to do it. But when we look at the books and, the, and, and a lot of the stuff that I put out there publicly, I have YouTube channel and I have a lot of, uh, of free stuff out there as well. And there's a lot of places people can go if they find me and, and they can find my materials. But I'm really excited about this last book, which is, is called uh, Abke's Law, uh, Abke's Golden Rule of Agile, um, a focus on value delivery, I believe, is a tagline. Um, it's about how do we choose the, the, the right things to do? Um, and, and the term that I'll use is, is it's about backlog management. For those who are not initiated, basically a backlog is, is a list of everything I could do, whether it be an individual, a team, a company, et cetera. And then choosing what do I do? What things can I do? So I do a very simple relative exercise. We have a lot of fun with it. And, and if any of you, your viewers are interested in it, reach out to me because I'd love to, to talk to them about it because we take all the things we could do and we just do two very simple exercises to determine what is the relative value of doing the, this thing versus this other thing? And what is the relative effort that it takes to extract that value? Because those are the two generally main parameters, especially in the world that I live in software development. And then it's really about saying, okay, what has the highest value for the least amount of effort? We all know this, but we don't necessarily do it explicitly. So when we do this explicitly, and this is what the book is about, um, the golden rule of, uh, of Agile, by the way, Apke's golden rule of Agile is we deliver the optimal value in the shortest possible time. Um, because I think if you look at all the four values and 12 principles, which was my first book uh, on Agile, 
they all lead to that. So once you have this value and effort and you put it in that sequence, I use the word sequence a lot because we have to determine what we do next. Um, then we look at our constraints and we reorder the list. But when we're done, it's a very simple exercise. You have basically followed Apke's golden rule of agile, which is we have now created a list that is in a sequence, a ranked order of the things that we need to do to deliver the most value we can in the shortest possible time, given our constraints. Right, right. As I said, there's much to learn from you, Larry. So what is the best way that people can connect with you, learn from you, and also engage you professionally if that's what they want? Yeah, I appreciate that. There's, there's, there's so many ways. The easiest way, though, is I have a website. It's called VUCAMBA.com. Uh, you can go to the VUCAMBA.com. Um, all of us are, I think, these days on LinkedIn. Go find me on LinkedIn. Connect with me. Send me a message. I, I'm very passionate about it. I'd love to talk to you. I have a Calendly link that, that we can find. We get you set up. We'll just you know sit down and have a half-hour conversation like AJ and I had this morning. Um, those are the ways. Um, I'm, I'm pretty easy to find. There, there are no other Larry Apkeys that, that are out there. So if you do a search for Larry Apke, uh, I'm pretty easy to find, which is nice. Wonderful. With this, it's a wrap on this very special edition of the KJ Masterclass Live. Thank you so much indeed for joining us. Thank you. I appreciate your time today, and I, I hope that the, the viewers get some benefit out of it today. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you.